Welcome to this edition of Gabrielle Dolan's Authentic Leadership Podcast. Join Gabrielle as she speaks to well-known leaders on authentic leadership values and storytelling. The aim of this podcast is to encourage you to embrace authenticity in both the professional and personal context. The stories and experience of her guests will be a wonderful catalyst for others to learn from. So welcome to this edition of Authentic Leadership and today I have the pleasure of interviewing Michael Labid who is the CEO of SBS. He also um, wrote a testimonial for my latest book, Stories for Work, which is emblazoned on the front cover, which I am forever grateful for. And last year won CEO's Magazine CEO of the Year, which is, I think, a pretty outstanding achievement. So welcome, Michael. G'day, how are you doing? <laughs> I am doing well. So this podcast series all, mm. is all about authentic leadership. So mm. just really wanted to start mm. off with a general question about what does authentic leadership mean to you? Um, I guess it's um, multifaceted. There's several parts of authentic leadership for me, really. Um, I think it's about, you know, being your natural self and not trying to sort of put on a persona of what a, an executive should be or the way an executive should act, but just being yourself. And I think people today, employees today, really see through that and they want their leaders to be natural, to be real, um, as opposed to some sort of, you know, something that comes out of a management textbook. And I think part of being authentic is about having values that you stand up for um, and having a purpose uh, of what you're trying to do and a vision that you can then bring an organisation uh, on that journey with you. Yep. Um, and I think that that's some of the parts for me of what makes uh, an authentic leader. Yeah, yeah. cool. And um, one of the things I noticed when I walked into your office, which I've never seen when I've walked into a CEO's office before, is first of all, people can't see you, but you're sitting here just in a shirt and with no tie. Um, but Would you I rather wasn't, I wasn't in a no, shirt? No, it's no. like you know, you've got pants on, which is good. <laughs> Um, but I wasn't greeted by your uh, PA or executive mm. manager. I was greeted by your dog that yes. come bounding up to me. My four-legged so, friend. Yeah. Yes. So yes. there's uh, one thing I've noticed walking mm. through the halls of SBS that mm. it's a dog-friendly organisation. It is, and I love that because I think what like your reaction. I yep. think you know a dog and a pet um, it brings a smile to most people's faces, and it can be a real icebreaker. Mm. So often you'll see people walking through the hall, and they've got their dog on a lead walking through, and it creates conversation. People will ask how old it is, what sort of breed it is, what yep. its name is. And so you end up having people who don't normally stop in a hallway and talk to each other, talk to each other. Yeah. And that's what I love about it. And yep. it just brings a smile to people's face and um, it just makes it all a bit real. Yeah, mm. especially if it's the CEO walking through yeah. with their dog. <laughs> well, we don't all bring our pets into work every, every day. day. <laughs> every now and then. So I might do it sort of once yeah. a fortnight yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Excellent. Now, I remember... Um, speaking to you once about authentic leadership and mm. saying that um, a lot of people, leaders find it really hard, mm. when you said you actually find it quite easy because mm. once you've decided to mm. be who you are, mm. then then it's relatively easy. It's mm. much easier than mm. pretending to be something someone else. Mm. Do you want to just expand a little bit on that? Yeah, I guess over my career, you know, we've all had managers that we've respected and maybe not respected so much over the years. And and one of the things that I learnt um, when I was, you know, uh, growing my career is the managers that I respected the most were the ones that were the same person both 
in and out of work, that they, um, you know, didn't put on a persona. And often when you saw somebody behaving a certain way, you think, that's not really them. Mm. Or vice versa, you see somebody putting on, um, you know, a, a trait that you think, gosh, you know, if only people could see the real them. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and and you know, people often used to talk about our political leaders that way. I mean, you know, a lot of people would say, you know, if you met Julia Gillard, she was an incredible, and I, as I did it, you know, I thought she was an incredibly warm, uh, intelligent person. You could have an amazing conversation with, where um, you could look, she she would look at you straight into, yep. in, in, and you had her her attention. Um, but then people would see her on TV and say, that's not the Julia that mm. I know, people who knew her. And I think that's really important um, in, in corporate space that um, employees know who their boss are because otherwise you won't get people to follow you on your journey of yep. what you're trying to do with a vision. Because sometimes it's pretty hard, right? I mean, you know, mm. you, you come up with a strategy and you need often thousands of people to... Um, to believe in you and your strategy yeah. otherwise it's going to be you know hands on hips saying well i'm not sure that strategy is any good and i don't yeah. trust that person yeah and i think you know trust is such an important part of authentic leadership yeah. and and you you can't be an authentic leader without having built that trust mm. and i find that the best way to build trust is to just be yourself yeah um because otherwise people see through it yeah i think one of the great yeah. um outcomes of authentic leadership is trust mm. because normally authentic leaders are prepared to be a bit more vulnerable mm. um, and to show mm. their vulnerable side absolutely and yeah. um, I know from experience I've mm. seen I've seen you do that mm. one of the things we certainly don't have all the answers right? no no and, and and nor should you or be expected yeah. to have all the answers but you know it's interesting when I became a CEO um, I noticed that so many people do look at you like you should have all the answers yeah and some CEOs think that they should have all the answers. And the reality is actually when you say to people, well, actually, you know, I have no idea. Let's work on this together. Let's get the facts. Let's, you know, try and come up with the right answer. Um, people feel really included in the conversation. Um, and you get better outcomes because people then work through those issues with you as opposed to bringing you problems like somehow you're you know, the font of all knowledge. And, yeah. and often, you know, in, in a CEO's role, it's the people around you that are the font yeah. of all knowledge. And you've yeah. got to be able to tap into that and work out where and how to get the best information to, to come up with the right vision and the right strategy and the right decisions. Yeah, absolutely. I think the uh, days of uh, leaders being expected to have all the answers mm. is um, mm. outdated. And I, and I think um, Gen Y especially don't respond to that because no. they want to contribute. No, that's right. Yeah. One of, one of the things... I've, I've had young Gen Y people tell me I'm wrong. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yes, exactly. We, well, you, your, role is to, yeah, your role is to make the right decisions, aren't you? And if mm. it, you're just relying on yourself, then mm. you're not going to get there. Mm. Um, one of the things I wanted to mm. talk to you about is um, how you think the role of a CEO should, um, in taking stand on social issues. So I know mm. you're being quite vocal around um, the legalisation of uh, same-sex marriage mm -hmm. and and you've recently written a paper mm -hmm. that was in the mm -hmm. thing that was in the Finn Review saying that you mm -hmm. did have people caution you against taking a stand. Mm -hmm. Would you mind walking us through the process of a being cautious, mm -hmm. cautioned and mm -hmm. did you hesitate or mm -hmm. was it just a no-brainer for you? 
Um, I think ultimately it was a no-brainer for me because um, it goes back to my values and my values about equality and, and people being treated equally in every way under the law and, and in corporates. And, and I believe increasingly in today's world, um, I mean, what are businesses at the end of the day? They are part of society, right? Um, employees within a business are part of a community and a society. So to somehow say that, as some politicians did during that marriage equality debate, that you know corporate leaders shouldn't have an opinion is mm. just nonsense because that's we are all part of a, a community and a society. And why I think it's important is because increasingly employees want to feel included in the workplace and there's no better way to do that than to make sure that you represent those employees in a societal perspective. Mm. So, um, you know, as an organisation that believes in, in diversity and, and particularly inclusion as part of that, um, whether it be Indigenous issues, whether it be gender issues and, and leadership for women, um, you know, we stand up for all those things, whether it be LGBTI issues, um, that's who we are as an organisation. So for, for me as the head of an organisation that lives and breathes diversity to somehow not have an opinion on an equality issue yeah. um, just didn't sit right with me mm. at all. Now, the challenge, of course, was, you know, being a, a public broadcaster needing to show all sides of the debate. Now, what we made sure that we did was to do that because yep. editorially that's really important. And, of course, you've got to respect all sides of, of the argument and show that to our audiences and let them decide. And we did that, I think, very, very well in our news coverage of the debate. But that doesn't mean as an organisation that has a purpose and values that we weren't going to back it. Yeah. So um, editorially we had a job to do. Mm -hmm. We did that fairly. Uh, and as an organisation in a community, in a society, um, we had to do that as well. Now... Of course, when you look at... Oh, there's your dog barking. <laughs> and then when you look at um, uh, our own workforce, we have an incredibly diverse workforce. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of the LGBTI community, um, you know, 13% of our workforce identifies from that community. 4% um, identify as Indigenous in our organisation, which is double the national average. We've got... Um, more than double the national average for people born overseas, people who speak another language, etc. So you've got to represent that. Yeah. You've got to represent your workforce um, and make sure that all your employees are treated equally under the law. Mm. Um, and I thought, you know, as an employer, I'm not allowed to discriminate against anybody under the law, but somehow as a, as a country, we were discriminating. Yeah. Yeah. And that just didn't sit right with my, with my values at all. Yeah. Um, and so they're the sort of... And, you know, I had employees say to me, look, I don't agree with same-sex marriage and, mm -hmm. and, you know, for religious reasons or cultural reasons. And, and it was wonderful to be able to have those discussions and debates and respect that. But at the end of the day, if I want um, our organisation to help promote inclusion for Muslims, for women, for people from diverse communities... Um, I'm not going to pick and choose between who is equal and who isn't. Yeah. Um, it's mm. either you believe in it or you don't. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of an easy one. Yeah. And okay. so I so that's why I believe you know increasingly 
CEOs are going to be asked for their opinions yeah. and, and uh, you know, you've got to represent your workforce in, in so many different ways and also for your customer base. Yeah. Um, a lot of brands got on board. You know, there was something like, um, I think it was over 1,300 brands and companies had signed the open letter for marriage equality okay. because not only were they doing it for their employees but also from a customer perspective, representing yeah. your customers are really, really important. Um, and so brands increasingly realise that you can't sit on the sidelines for these things. No, no. Mm. And if sitting on the sidelines not leadership either. No, no, so, it's certainly not yeah. leadership. Yeah. yeah. What would you say is the hardest part about your job? My job? Yeah, your job. Um, gosh, I think um, probably working in with Canberra and okay. the political uh, side of... SBS and having to, um, you know, have masters in Canberra whilst also having stakeholders in terms of all our communities, etc. Um, I think my, my most, you know, challenging stakeholder is of course, you know, Canberra and the government and all that. Yeah. There's a lot of changes in Canberra. Um, you know, appearing before Senate estimates a couple of times a year is, is you know, <laughs> never fun. Um, but it's part of our transparency and it's part of the process of making sure that as a as a public organisation that um, we're accountable. And so I, I welcome that. But what I don't welcome is when you've got to um, deal with questions that are driven by ideology more than the right thing for, yeah. for the business. That That's when it becomes difficult because you're then not dealing with, you know, um, what a normal organisation would in terms of rational, you know, customer numbers, bottom line, profit, etc. You, you're dealing with with ideology yeah and that can be challenging yeah do you do you have to get to Canberra a lot or um I'd be down there at least once a month okay yeah at least once a month or as I often say probably more than is healthy for anyone (laughs) (laughs) fair enough do you is um traveling a part of your Mm. job how many like how many nights a year would you spend away do you know I try and limit it as much as I can um Obviously, you know, we're a national broadcaster, so we, we, we do have presence around the nation, which is important, and, and you know, we've got um, uh, our head offices in Sydney, but I spend a fair bit of time in Melbourne as well, and yep. we've got smaller offices in all the, in all the capital cities. Um, and a little bit internationally, obviously, with the remit that we have, we've got a lot of relationships with international broadcasters yep. and international distributors and content, etc., um, you know, things like FIFA World Cup and football um, rights agreements, etc. Yeah. I get involved with sometimes. Um, but I try um, as hard as I can to avoid. Uh, anyone who does a lot of business travel knows that it's, it's not what it's cracked no, up to be. Yeah. it's not. It's not. Um, part of this podcast series mm. is for the listeners to get to know a little bit more about you. So that if we sounds can, dangerous. Yeah, I know, it sounds dangerous. <laughs> so besides your love of dogs, which we now know you have, mm. when you're not being CEO, mm. what's the one thing you love doing? Um, I, I guess I actually love travel and yeah. travelling. Um, I'm fortunate that my partner runs a travel business. Right. And so that means that I never have a big outstanding annual leave balance. <laughs> um, it's always run down. Um, and I love going to, um, you know, places that aren't the normal tourist spots. You yeah. know, so, for example, last Christmas we spent four weeks going through Africa. Wow. And, you know, yeah. we went, you know, from um, 
um, Kenya, Mozambique, a lot of places in South Africa, Seychelles, etc. And we, we spent quite a bit of time on that um, east coast, really, yeah. you know, going into small villages and, and um, seeing a different part of the world yeah. I, I love doing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, probably travel is, is yeah. one of my, my things that I love doing. Um, but then just basic back at home, um, you know, we've got a couple of dogs and I, you know, love spending time, you know, just going for long walks. Sometimes on a weekend we'll go for two, three hour walks just, you know, wow. um, for, for, for a bit of fun and it doubles up as a bit of exercise. <laughs> it does. Um, and probably the other thing I love doing is going out on Sydney Harbour. It's a bit hard to live in uh, Sydney without yeah. really making the most of the harbour and I'm a bit of a water boy, so yeah. I love the water. Excellent. Mm. What do you hate doing? Or do you avoid doing it? <laughs> Um, what do I hate? What's doing? a necessary thing you've got to do but you hate? Um, oh, look, I'd probably have to say, you know, housework, chores, all that boring <laughs> stuff. Um, you know, I think we all have to do that. Oh, but, do um, you know, um, I, there's probably not a lot of things I hate because I don't do them if I hate them. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty simple, things. really. Um, you try and, I, used, you try and I hate ironing, so I just buy clothes that don't need ironing. <laughs> just okay, so I'm going to shock you here. I actually don't mind ironing. Oh, I okay. actually like I know ironing. some people find yeah. it very. You know, I find very, it relaxing. Yeah. yeah, I don't mind it. Yeah. yeah, I actually don't mind doing the washing, hanging mm. it out. I find it quite strategic. How you know you can hang clothes out to That's make sure they That's dry. Funny. So there's some housework yeah. you don't mind. Isn't I mean, there? I, some um, you hate. I my I grew up in a house where um, both my parents worked from an early age yep. of, as a as a kid, and so I think from the minute I was tall enough to reach the ironing board, I was ironing my own school shirts. Yeah. And so I think you know from about the age of ten or twelve, I I ironed all my own school clothes, and yep. that's just how it was. You yep. know, I didn't have a choice. Mum used to leave the house at five thirty every day to go to work, so. Um, it's just what we did, so yeah. just always been self sufficient. Yeah, mm-hmm. good, good. Mm. One of the I I love quotes. I love okay. quotes. Yeah. Do you have a favourite quote, and and why is it your favourite quote? Yeah, um, probably two. Um, one that I often say a lot is, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. Because a lot of people, if you don't ask, you know, the answer's say, always no. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, you you'll never know what the yeah. answer is, yeah. but. Um, I often say, well, did you did you ask? And they go, well, no. I say, well, how did you expect yeah. an outcome to be different? Yeah. Um, so I, I always think don't be shy in yeah. asking um, for, for what you want or what you need or for help. Yeah. Uh, so if you don't ask, um, you don't get. Um, and, and the other one that I love is um, life is a lot easier when you're not always having to be right. Right, okay. You know, not, you know, a lot of people... Th- always trying conversations to be right or to yeah. get the last word and um i think years ago i used to be a little bit like that i used yeah. to think i had all the answers and life's so much easier when you mm. don't behave that way mm. and you don't think that you have to have the last word or mm. that you, you know you you're always right yeah um and uh do you think that comes from wisdom I was I wasn't going to say as you get older, but just yeah. as, as because I think you know in a, you. when you're going through your career, like being yeah. right and having the answers to sort of work for you, and it's, and it's almost like point. proving that yeah, you're, you're better, etc. And I think life's just so much easier when you don't have to yeah. do all that. And yeah. so I, maybe it does come with wisdom and age, um, but yeah, you don't have to always be mm. be right. And so that's one of my other. It's liberating, quite, isn't it? It is liberating yeah, once yeah. you realise that, and that it does take a while. You don't to, need to be right, and you don't need yeah. to be, have all the answers. Mm. So that, that would be my two of, yeah. um, that I often quote. Yeah. Now you you know that I'm a um, a big fan of trying to move 
corporations away from using jargon mm. or having a reliance on jargon. Yes, indeed. So what's indeed. a jargon phrase you absolutely hate yeah. and and even potentially you've banned? Because I know some CEOs do banned. I, do I have to give you one? Because I've got oh, no, a couple. You can give me, you because, can... you know, there's, there's quite a few that I think we use in corporate worlds a lot that... Um, you know, I, they're just they great on me. Yeah. You know, things. Yeah. Which, thing, what are the ones that great? Things on like you? you know, I'm just reaching out. Oh. Things like um, you know, touching base oh. and the ballpark. You yes. Know. Um, so you know that. Oh, you know, let's just touch base. What, what, is, what does that touch mean? Base. exactly? To, um, to run it up the flagpole. So those three, and and the fourth one that I'd probably give you is is when people say to be honest. Okay. It's like, yeah. well, you haven't been honest for the last 10 yeah. minutes of our conversation. Yeah. You know? So I, I don't think, I always think it's funny when people um, preface something with a, well, to be honest. Yeah. It's sort of like with all due respect. And yeah. They're yeah. They're about to. <laughs> so they would be some of my, um, you know, pet hates in, in corporate world around, you know, that reaching out and touching base and all those sort of um, little things. And what is that actually? Yeah. It's just corporate talk. Yeah. Although, to be honest, it's not even corporate talk. I've got mm. teenage daughters and, you know, every second text is mm. to be H and it took me ages. Really? Yeah, it's like, to be honest. Yeah. Like, to be honest, yeah, right. Okay. TBH. Good. I didn't realise that TBH. was an acronym. So now you can, you can throw that in. There we go, TBH. <laughs> okay. Mm. Getting really personal now. Uh-oh. What is the one meal mm. you love cooking, if in fact you cook? <laughs> I do, actually. Well, my partner's a better cook, but... Yeah. Um, I, look, I'm not bad on a, on a barbecue. Okay. I, I do like yeah. doing a barbecue. Um, and then I'm the, what I call the everyday cook and my partner does the dinner parties. The glory. The glory. The gourmet stuff. <laughs> right. um, I'm pretty good at poached eggs. <gasps> so am I. Yeah, I love poached eggs. Um, they've got to be fresh eggs. Yeah, got to be fresh. Non, not out of the fridge, you know. Um, well, so this is really cool because I normally talk about cooking a perfectly poached egg yeah. is one of my superpowers. Oh wow! Okay. So and people are impressed we should have by a it, poached sure. egg off. So what's your what's your um, <laughs> process? Fresh eggs is a must. Fresh eggs is a must. It's turned um, into a abs- cooking show. Absolutely, do not stir the water. You know, people <gasps> go, you got to oh, swirl the, the water. Yeah, okay. I do not swirl the water. Right. You just leave it. Vinegar. Just a touch occasionally. Yeah. And as soon as you take the egg out, um, I dip it straight into cold, cold water, oh, into okay. a cold bowl. Right. And I have to dry it before it goes on toast. Oh, yeah, you yeah. get soggy oh, toast. Yeah, got it. got Nothing worse than being in a restaurant, no, you get soggy no, toast. You I think, can't Damn. throw this back. Yeah. It's just seriously, could you not put the egg and on? And look, I know a lot of people first. say this as well, but I'm not bad at a good spag bowl. Oh, okay. I good. do a good spag bowl. Oh, yeah. right. I used to have a, a friend at school who was Italian when I was growing up, and I used to go around to his place and... He had this fantastic nonna that lived with them, and I think I learnt my spag bowl from her. Oh, yeah. Cool. Now you were born in Egypt. I was born in Cairo. Yeah. Cairo. Mm. I read on your Wikipedia page. That's yeah. impressive. You have a Wikipedia mm. page. Do you go back there? Um, look, I haven't. Maybe once every ten years, okay. just as a tourist. I mean, I came to Australia um, when I was a baby. My parents yeah. migrated um, in the late sixties um, to Australia, and so I've never really grown up yeah. there. I haven't lived there, so. I, I feel very much in every way Australian. Yeah. Um, and when I do go to Egypt, it's very much um, as a tourist. Yeah. Except people look at you like, you know, you look like you belong, but then you open your mouth and they, they look <laughs> at you like you can't. And you're an Aussie. Cause, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, uh, yeah, so I was, that's where I was born. Excellent. Mm. What's your favourite 80s artist? 
or song. Oh, this is going to be give embarrassing. Me Gosh. Um, 80s. Well, that kind of implies that I was around in the 80s. Yeah, well, so, you know, yeah, shouldn't we're, I say, we're, you know, already, that was before already, my time. We've already established that. <laughs> so I can't get away with that <laughs> lie. can't get away with that. You're lucky um, I'm not asking for the 70s. Yeah, <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I think I used to love Pet Shop Boys, actually. Yeah. Um, I used to love their, just their music and their songs. Um, yeah. I'll go with that. Yeah, go with that. Why not? <laughs> and on a final question, mm. there's some bit of serious. If you could give one piece of advice mm. to your 20-year-old self, what yeah. would it be? Um, I'd probably say two things. Have more confidence in yourself. Um, you know, I think a lot of people um, doubt their own abilities and, you know, I think it's just part of human nature, particularly when you're starting off in your career and you have no idea, you know what's yep. up and down. Um, so have more confidence. Um, and um, I'd probably also say don't worry about what other people think. Yeah. You know, I think I spent too much time as a young kid probably trying to, you know, make sure I was, you know, well-liked or what other people thought. And, and I think that's a waste of energy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've just got to do And as you get older, you kind of just do what you think is right. And, you know, people either like it or they don't. Yeah. Um, so I'd probably say that, you know, yeah. um, have more confidence in yourself and, and don't worry so much about others mm. and what other people think. Just do mm. what you think is right. Yeah. And I think that's a nice link back to authentic leadership, which you mm. obviously live and breathe because mm. if you're constantly worrying about what other people mm. think, then um, you're never going to lead that's authentically. It. Totally. That's a really nice loop back. It is a beautiful yeah. loop back. <laughs> Michael, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure having you on board and uh, we've even learned how to do a poached egg. No, that's fantastic. I really appreciate um, you know, the opportunity to talk to you about it and, and um, you know, continue doing the great work that you do because I think... Um, you know, some of the things that I've seen you do and I've seen you present is, is just brilliant and you put a whole new spin around what's important in terms of leadership and particularly uh, in terms of the work that you've done around storytelling. Um, there's nothing more powerful. And as a broadcaster, mm. I know that there's nothing more powerful than storytelling. Um, and I think that's really, really important for people to be able to get messages across with examples and stories. Um, so, you know... Uh, I think what you do is pretty damn good. Excellent. So, Thank you. Thanks, pleasure. Michael. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast in the Authentic Leadership series. Visit the resource library on Gabrielle's website to access a collection of free material on business storytelling and thought leadership.